Good news. My new book is finally here. It's called Handbook for the Heartbroken, A Woman's Path from Devastation to Rebirth, and you can order it now wherever books are sold. I wrote this book after the five-year span between 2016 and 2020 when I experienced serial heartbreaks that rocked literally every area of my life, my health, relationships, money, career, social status, and even my very sense of self. And along the way, I really got to experience firsthand how dysfunctional our culture's relationship is to loss. I saw how we live in a heartbreak illiterate world that's obsessed with success and shackled with isolation and ignorant of how valuable our suffering can be for our growth and our evolution not only as individuals, but also as a collective. So this book expands the conversation around loss beyond just breakups and bereavement, although we definitely cover those too, in order to include falls from grace of all kinds, personal, professional, and collective. So whether you're experiencing hardship now, or know you have past hurts that are holding you back in certain ways and still need healing, this book is here to support you. It's also a great book to gift to clients, family members, friends, just other women in your world who are going through a challenging time. It will show you that it's only through fully turning toward your heartbreak with support, courage, and compassion that you can heal. So within the loving pages of this book, you will have full permission to fall apart and slowly, organically find your way back to greater wholeness. I'm truly excited to share this with you. It was not a joy to live this journey, but it really was a joy to write it. And you can find it again, wherever books are sold and the audio version of the book is available as well. If you would like some gifts to accompany you on your heartbreak journey, you can get those at handbookfortheheartbroken.com. Those are free. Whenever you order books, you can just send in your invoice or your receipt and we'll send you those accompanying gifts. Enjoy. Hello, welcome to the Sarah Avon Stover podcast, a space to come home to your inner wisdom. I'm Sarah, best-selling author and teacher of women's yoga, meditation, and spirituality. And this podcast was born out of my own desire to hear Dharma talks, which are what the Buddhist tradition calls wisdom teachings, through the distinct lens and voice of the sacred feminine. Here, I'll share these very talks, along with rich conversations about all different facets of the feminine spiritual journey. But above all, I created this because I believe that when a woman gets still and quiet enough to hear her inner wisdom, she's able to live her true path in the world. I hope this podcast helps you do just this. I'm happy you're here. Let's dive in. Hello, women. Welcome back. As always, I love being here with you. Even though I can't see you, I can feel you out there living your life. And I hope that these words are supportive for you in that process. What I'm sharing today is an interview, which will kick off a new series that I'm offering here on the podcast this summer 
which will happen over the next few months. And I'm sharing in that interviews with women in yoga and meditation, as well as Dharma talks that I've given in the past on the practice and path of women's yoga and meditation. And I offer all of these in the spirit of celebration, as I am celebrating the opening of registration for my 200 hour yoga alliance, the way of the happy woman yoga and meditation teacher training. This will take place 100% online from September 2021 to January 2022 over the course of four three-day weekends. So while it's a training to help you to gain the skills to teach women's yoga and meditation or to hone those skills, it's also kind of a retreat-like feeling to help you to deepen in your own feminine spiritual practice. Registration opens in a couple of weeks in mid-July. And for now, if you're interested and want to be notified when that happens, you can go to womensyogateachertraining.com. That's womensyogateachertraining.com. Today's interview is one that I did gosh, I think it was over 10 years ago with one of my all-time favorite women's yoga luminaries, Angela Farmer. This interview was initially part of a virtual women's circle that I hosted back in 2009 or 2010. And at that time it was called The Secret to Unfolding Your Feminine Essence Through Yoga. Throughout my life as a yogini, since my early 20s, late teens, Angela's teachings and practices, particularly her DVDs, are ones that I still return to again and again, simply watching her move in her body and seeing how comfortable she is in her own skin is incredibly inspiring. It's clear when watching her that her path has been much more about unlearning than learning. Fluid, non-mechanical, intuitive, deeply embodied, Angela represents an ideal in feminine spiritual practice. It's not something that we strive to gain, but it's something that we soften into and uncover. It's an undomesticated place, an undomesticated place within each of us that we can return to when we follow and commit to this path. And around the same time as this interview all those years ago, I also interviewed Angela for a magazine feature I wrote on women in yoga for the now defunct magazine Fit Yoga. And she was one of several prominent yoginis that I reached out to at that time. And to answer her questions, she faxed me from her home in Greece about a dozen handwritten pages sharing her insights and learnings as a yogini over the years. And I still cherish those pages. In that spirit, Angela doesn't have a air quotes formal bio. Rather, she has a handwritten one on her website, similar to those pages she sent me all those years ago. And I'd like to read you that handwritten bio now so you can really get a flavor for her. Who am I? whispered the wind as it blew through my hair. Who am I, sang the sea, as a wave like a snake curled over the beach. This is I, croaked the rock, 
but I'll be gone tomorrow. And the sun grew hotter as I tumbled through my breath and fell into darkness, into nothing, into space. Is this who I am? A new breath began. For me, yoga is a journey each day, down into my underworld, not knowing what I shall find. It is a kind of death to meet those places in my body that still feel pain, that still hold fear from long forgotten times. Then with quiet and gentle acceptance of these little parts of me, the sad or hidden parts, the lonely and ugly parts, seeds of release are planted and the outcome is a gift that inspires my teaching enriches my life. I feel such joy when I see a student finding courage to enter her or his own inner underworld in their own unique way. They discover their creativity and breath and movement as deep places unravel and the power and beauty this brings to them. In this process, the terms teacher and student dissolve as we enter an awareness of innocence and gratitude. So that is one sliver of Angela. You can sense how unique and incredible she is. And I'll let you hear more about her in our interview in just a moment. Uh, but before heading into that, I just want to share one little disclaimer that the audio quality of this interview isn't the greatest. It's not the worst either, but it's not the greatest. As I said, it was done many years ago, and recording technology has improved a lot since then, gratefully. Uh, but I thought this was too good to not share, especially as we are really highlighting the essence of a women's spiritual practice this summer. So thank you for your graciousness around the audio quality and now my conversation with women's yoga luminary, Angela Farmer. You can find Angela's website at www.angela-victor.com. It's A-N-G-E-L-A-V-I-C-T-O-R.com. There's also a link to that site on the webcast page. So Angela's been teaching yoga for more than 35 years. She studied with BKS Iyengar over a period of 10 years and has made several trips to India where she underwent personal transformation through her numerous interactions with Indians, yogis, and saints. Instinctually, she developed a process of undoing rather than doing yoga that invites inner dialogue with the body and brings feeling, movement, and freedom to yoga practice. As a pioneer of women's yoga, she travels the world teaching her unique approach to energy and healing through her teachings. So, Angela, are you still there? Yes, I'm here. Yes, great. So, again, right, thank I'm you for joining us. <laughs> so, it's evening there in Greece, yes? Uh, yes, it is. It's dark and it's starting to rain. Okay. Yeah, it's starting to rain here in Boulder, too. Hmm, that's so, nice. So, yeah. 
So, Angela, I always like to start out these interviews um, to help women get a sense of your history and how you got to be on the path that you're on now. So could you let us know how you got started on your yogic path, because that's always interesting to find out. And also, because I know more of your story, I know that your path shifted at a certain point to shifted rather dramatically to bring you to the place now where you're teaching your own unique approach, which as I read in your bio is more about undoing than doing. Yes, well, um, I forgot about this for a long time, but many years uh, later when I had been practicing yoga for a while, I remembered that as a very small child, I loved movement, climbing trees and all that sort of thing. And uh, I was convinced that somewhere in the world there was a set of exercises that would work each part of my body. And as a child believes in these things, I was quite sure I would find them. But of course, no one came along with them. And at night I would lie in bed trying to work out different things I could do with my fingers and toes and so on. And then I forgot about it as school and other things took over. In uh, my mid-teenage, I think I read somewhere about yoga. And the sentence that stood out for me was that the master appears when the student is ready. So I let that go and... um, went on with my teacher training and started teaching school in London. And in my late 20s, I had joined an esoteric society, amongst other things, in my free time. I I met someone who told me he was going to a yoga class. And in those days, um, nobody really knew much about yoga. It was obviously sitting on a bed of nails or staring at your navel. So I was very excited to hear that there was a teacher around. And my friend, I said to my friend, well, where and when? And he said, now. So without a thought, I went now. And we went to the edge of London where a wonderful woman called Diana Clifton was offering a yoga class. And it was a hot summer's evening. And I remember watching these asana and feeling that I was somehow remembering something very ancient that I knew and I couldn't wait to get started. So I joined her class and uh, found actually that it was not as simple as that. Although I did quite a lot of movement, I was very stiff and it was quite a struggle. But um, I loved it, and everything else fell by the wayside as I continued to do that. And um, apart from my school teaching, that was the core of my life for quite a while. And I'd only been studying with Diana a few months when she said her teacher, Ayenga, was coming to London. And he had been brought over by Yehudi Menuhin to help him with some health things. And on the side, a secretary ordered a small class, organized a small class in which Diana became a student. So I was lucky enough to be one of the early 
students of Iyengar in London, and he came once a year, and uh, a small group of us took classes from him. He was pretty wild, and uh, not like the Iyengar yoga you find now, which is all very organized, and uh, I was thrilled to bits. I'd always been interested in movement, and it felt like here I'd found someone who could take me to a deeper level. So ultimately, um, I went to India and continued to study with him. Uh, I would say that my early approach had to do a lot with struggling with my body and working on the poses and asanas and striving towards some kind of perfection I wasn't exactly sure what, but it thought it had to do with perfecting the body. And it certainly was a very great challenge and one that took over my life completely. And I continued that for 10 years. I introduced yoga into schools in London, and um, I was noticed by some <clears throat> journalist, and they put me in the Sunday Times, which is the biggest national newspaper, and I had photographs splashed all over this paper of me in various weird poses and something of an article beside it, much to the chagrin of my family. My aunt rang up my parents and said, what on earth is Angela doing displaying her body all over the national newspaper? Um, the interesting thing was that um, it didn't really touch me at all. And uh, it took me a while to realize that uh, although I was working my ass off to do this intense practice, um, there was really something very important missing. And no matter how hard and rigorously I worked, nothing changed inside me. I could do most of the advanced poses but had not found peace or real deep happiness. I returned to India after some years and um, I was determined to make a breakthrough. I felt that perhaps I was too lazy, I didn't work hard enough, that there must be a deeper level available where I would feel something really internally. And so I practiced harder than ever before and after as well as during the classes and before the classes and with the master and without him. And then suddenly one day I awakened to the fact that this was not the way for me. I was still the same old Angela inside and as I looked around, it seemed that everyone else was in the same state. Well, how can one really know what everyone else is doing? But I felt that I was not inspired anymore. And that was for me an opportunity to, to leave that practice. I hadn't, I'd known to a certain extent I wanted to leave before and, but I was afraid that if I didn't really know why, then a little voice inside would say, you chickened out, it was too hard for you. 
And since I was on that role of meeting challenges and um, <clears throat> not giving in, it needed a very deep wake-up call. So I set off around India to find what I felt I needed, which was a different teacher. And I went down to Padabi Joyce and up to the Dalai Lama. And um, finally, it was actually in Dharamsala where I went and asked um, for the for help, and they sent me to the top Tibetan Pranayama teacher because I felt I'd had enough asana. It had to be something else. And <clears throat> this teacher was an elderly man. I had to wait several hours to meet him. And then when I did, he asked me through a translator to show him what I practiced. So I did my best Ayanga Pranayama. And he said, all wrong, all wrong. You have to start all over again with the Dharma. And I went out into the evening, very dramatic with the mountains of Tibet behind and the plains of India below and the great horns of the uh, Tibetan monks starting to shake the earth and raise the demons, so it seemed. <laughs> and I walked down this path and all I could see was libraries of books and corridors of endless study. And it just didn't really feel right somehow. And then I heard this voice and it said, the teacher is inside you. And even though I knew that from theory, this time I heard it. And I left that place and went down to the sea and by chance came to a temple where um, in the ruins of that temple where these beautiful uh, goddess-like figures, the temple of Karnak in Orissa, south of Calcutta. And I noticed that they were all extremely beautiful with seraphic smiles on their faces and little bellies and butts. And they were dancing and playing instruments. And as I looked at them, something inside said, these are women, but they are also yogis or yoginis. And the door opened for me and I saw that I had thought only in terms of being a male yogi because that was what all the, um, as far as I knew, the archetypes were. And I had some vague idea of eventually one day sitting in a mountain cave with a little bit of loincloth on. And here were these beautiful statues telling me, you can be a woman and you are still a yogi. And this this was a huge um wake-up call for me because having been raised at, with three brothers and at a time when um, there wasn't much credence given to the feminine qualities, life was more about what you did and what you achieved and so on. Here 
I was being asked to feel myself as a woman. And I didn't know really what that would mean, and it took a while, but something started to change inside me, and then my practice started to change, and I noticed when uh, my practice was actually disturbing that quality inside, and when I was listening to it. And so I suppose you could say my practice became slower and softer, but um, it was more about uh, listening, undoing, feeling, and uh, diving into the places that were had been hidden for so long because of early trauma and injury. Uh, and were too vulnerable and too scared to present themselves in an intense practice. So my practice, instead of being so much about achieving a pose or making it more perfect, turned around into finding ways to meet one or more of those places that um, I had overridden and that had got buried deeper inside. And I know from from the times that I've been with you and also from the various DVDs and CDs that you offer that there are some specific there are some specific things that you emphasize when you're working with people to tap into this feminine approach and some of, the, some of the things that come to mind is an emphasis on the back body, um, mm-hmm. really freeing your yeah. belly, and and a lot of a lot of imagery with earth earth based imagery. So can you talk more about more about those things and and you know other ways that that you really communicate this new feminine approach to yoga? Yes. Um, I think that uh, one of the things that a lot of women are pulled into is a very strong and quite forceful practice. And, you know, when you're young, you have a lot of energy and you want to feel your edges. And I think there's nothing wrong in that. But uh, the danger is that um, you override those other parts of yourself. And so uh, if you have, if you have had uh, early trauma, um, and you have suppressed that whole side of yourself, then it's important to just at least sometimes stop and go a little more slowly and deeper and feel where your body um, does block or where it uh, doesn't flow easily because those are the places where, and, and, or where you have pain or resistance and instead of getting mad at them or thinking that that you have to push through them, actually stopping so that you are able to be very present with them. And if it's a place of pain or difficulty, just not pushing it over the edge uh, or not pushing it in a way so that it hardens, but um, seeing if you can just be very present with the sensation 
and <clears throat> go into that sensation with a very kind attitude as you might go towards a child who is hurt or a little animal that is injured and just not um, expect anything. The expectation, I think, is, is the destructive side, but accepting it as it is and letting it know in your own way, um, sometimes with internal words or just with feeling, that you understand that part of you is in trouble and that you intend to be there totally for it. And uh, in the process, what you're doing is bringing your full attention to that place. And in, in a sense, it's your outer world has, has um, decided that it will leave its external distractions and come inside and be present with your internal world. So it's kind of um, the myth of Inanna where she goes down into the underworld to meet her um, <coughs> hurt and angry sister. Very beautiful myth. I'm sure most of you must know that myth as it's been well publicized. But I came across it quite early after its translation and after they deciphered it out of the hieroglyphs from the Sumerian um, blocks that they discovered, stone blocks. And uh, I found it, I lived with it for about two years, not really fully understanding it, but gradually finding how it related to my practice. And the, the most fascinating part for me was that these two little creatures which came to rescue Inanna sent down by the god of the oceans, the only god who was willing to help. And I thought that was interesting because oceans and emotion and motion and tears and water, that's the way we go down inside ourselves. And every time we meet one of these places, just like these little creatures, we listen to what it says. And as a Reshka girl just cried and moaned and said, oh, my head aches, the little creatures didn't give her an aspirin and they didn't say do Shirsasana or Sadhubandasana or something like that. They said, oh, your head aches. And everything she came up with, they just acknowledged. Mm. And I think that's been one of the most uh, major changing points or turning points for me um, because of old trauma and injury uh, we are pushed outwards we don't live fully in our bodies anymore we um, get involved with other people um, with uh, other activities people hurt us more and we put ourselves in situations where we get damaged again and again because this part inside of us is not there. It's not fully present. And so it's like a vacuum or a hole that pulls in more and more um, hurt and injury and trauma until we turn around and go inside and <clears throat> say, I'm here. I'm really here for you. And I understand you're hurting and you're in trouble. 
And um, that is when the miracle takes place, as it did with Ereshkigil. She turned around and said, Oh, nobody has ever listened to me before. Nobody has ever cared about me. And that's what these little places inside us say. Oh, you actually came to visit me. You actually are concerned about the fact that I'm hurting. And so then she gives them the opportunity to <clears throat> choose what they want. And that, of course, is the beginning of the healing of Vinana. And our connection with that part of ourselves in that way starts the healing process. Um, in order to... <clears throat> I say not, it's not only about um, finding those hurt and injured places, although they are the treasure chest, I think, of our transformation and our and are coming to a, a fulfillment of ourselves. But um, it is about opening and increasing our awareness and our sensitivity so that uh, we don't, we are no longer an island. And by that I mean we're no longer cut off from what is around us, which happens when we feel inadequate or when we're defensive or when we're afraid. And so, um, you talked about images, and I do, and Victor does too. We both use a lot of images to help uh, people uh, let go of preconceived concepts of how we are, because we really are not what we think we are. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, we are so much more. When we are, when we have a part of ourselves missing, as I think probably most of us have done or maybe still do, uh, we become much more defensive and aggressive and that we seek for solutions outside ourselves. And um, we also get involved in other people's stuff, you know, which is not really helpful. But by reclaiming these places in ourselves, for me it's like reclaiming my family. And um, <clears throat> it, it is, it's a slow process. Uh, sometimes it happens quicker, but you can't hurry or force these things. You can't control them. And that's another thing I learned. Yoga, so much of yoga and so much of life seems to be about controlling. And, um, you know, you control me, I control you, and, and, and on and on. And we control ourselves in the asanas, in yoga practice. But that actually blocks the feminine. It blocks the um, intuitive, intuitive and organic flows that we are. And I personally believe and 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 um, Victor laughs at me, because, but I, this is this is surely my personal belief that yoga um, did not. Well, we know it did not come down the mountainside like the Ten Commandments on blocks of stone, but it also did not come as a um, system 
I believe that yoga is in us all, but especially in women, and um, that women have always needed and loved to move, and move and twist and turn and stretch because it feels good. Um, of course, medically, it's it's um, massaging the organs and tuning the muscles and all that, but it's deeper than that. It connects our soul and our mind and our body all together. So it is. You could say it to to move from your feeling, from your deep feeling and your deep need. It's a very feminine spiritual process, and I think that women always did that. And then at a certain time, um, <clears throat> because they looked beautiful, and because no doubt they moved into sometimes extraordinarily wonderful situations, uh, that it got taken over by the masculine mind. I don't like to confuse masculine and feminine with men and women because we have both parts of ourselves, but the masculine mind likes to order and control. And so systems begin in that way. And um, there's nothing basically wrong in a system, but it eventually can kill or at least bury the essence of the original inspiration so deeply that you don't see it anymore. And I think that's the danger with a system, and it can happen in yoga too. And what we need to do, especially to help ourselves as women, is to find back the original source of yoga in ourselves, which means going way beyond any teaching or any system. And um, this is kind of sacrilegious in a way, but means going beyond tradition and trusting yourself so that what feels right for you is right for you and mm -hmm. um, that is and, and when you start going in that way and I've seen it with students because I try to give a lot of freedom and a lot of inspiration into diving inwards and listening and starting to follow um, the needs of your body at this moment and your feeling and what comes out of it is so utterly beautiful um, and everybody is different and doing different things at the same time and they go once they start listening they might be going into something that looks like a pose we've all seen but then they listen to their body and something else happens and develops further and they go further than they could have ever believed themselves. Um, but they're just on a journey. And, you know, it can bring tears to your eyes to see, to see the beauty that comes out of even people who thought they were stiff and couldn't do very much. I'm going to take a short break from this conversation to let you know about a free online gathering which feels more like a party that is introvert friendly and doesn't have any small talk, I promise, <laughs> that is taking place this summer over the course of five weeks from July 21st to August 18th. And it's called Women's Summer of Celebration because I am guessing that I'm not alone in this and that I am itching for more celebration, more fun, more play, more connection, more liveness after 
all of the hardships of the past year and a half that we've been through globally. So I'll hope, I hope you'll join me for this five-week gathering. I'll be joined each week by a new guest teacher guiding us through things from creative writing to sensual dance to devotional music therapy and so much more. So you can join us for free at womensyogateachertraining.com forward slash summer. That's womensyogateachertraining.com forward slash summer. I look forward to seeing you there. Feel free to invite other women in your world. Again, the intention is that it's fun, it's light, it's joyous, and I would love to share that with you. And now back to today's conversation. But I was going to just mention the fact that um, what I call reclaiming my family is something that's very um, dear to me. Because, you see, um, I know that when we've lost a part of ourselves, some shaman tell us that it has gone away and they can with their rattling or their drumming they can go and find it someplace hiding behind a rock or in a cupboard or something and they bring it back and they blow it into you well no doubt that works for many people but for me and I think for people who practice yoga it's more about unwinding and undoing yourself so you get right down into the cellular tissue where that part of you is hiding and then allowing it to return and uh, become a part of you and there are some parts of this that um, will completely heal in return and other parts that uh, will maybe always be injured maybe always be a little bit uh, handicapped, you could say. Mm-hmm. And something that has amazed me is, is I've seen sometimes a parent with a child who has some problem, they can't walk or they can't speak or they have some big, real, uh, lifelong problem. And the love that that parent gives that child has always been so amazing. And they have accepted that child. It will never grow up. It will never be able to do what other children do. And it will always be in a wheelchair. It will always have its mouth to one side or whatever. But it is their child and they love it. And I think that is the feeling that you get as you reclaim these parts of yourself. Some parts will always be like the young uh, intelligent, clever one that's out there doing everything and the other parts that sort of limp along or even need to be carried. But um, the beauty of it is that you own them all. Whereas if you're too hard on yourself, you bury them. And then they're going to come up in unpleasant ways. <laughs> so reclaim, reclaim your family and own every part of yourself as far as you can and go out into the world with them in your arms and say this is me the part that collapses in certain situations the part that breaks down and cries when it sees something beautiful the part that is healthy and can do lots of 
physical exercises and the part that is beautiful and the part that is ugly is it all me and that mm-hmm. is what gives us um, strength and power uh, to 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 um, stay with ourselves in life I think but how to do that um, in yoga uh, <clears throat> I was lucky enough to know Vanda Scarazzelli for a while and um, very remarkable woman that I think many people have heard of or even seen her book but that's a beautiful she, book yes I'm trying to remember the name something spine isn't it the yeah I'm not awakening the spine I think. awakening the spine yes but she uh, introduced me to the concept of having roots and that was another thing that really transformed my yoga practice and um she said, look at a tree, and um, then you get the feeling of how its roots are in the earth. And just just standing and letting something inside yourself drop, you feel then that you let go of your feet. You're not lifting off the earth as so much of life seems to be about, but you're actually letting go into the earth, just as the trees do, and their deep roots are so marvelous. They are down under the ground and they spread and they give a, a, a complete stability to the tree so that the wind can blow and uh, animals can nest or bang into it and it's still stable. And it can bend, but it doesn't fall. And there's a, an African tribe <coughs> who... Um, apparently worships the trees or honors the trees as the wisest beings on this planet. And that is because they do not chit-chatter and they do not run around aimlessly. And then come the animals because they are true to themselves and third come the humans because they do chit-chit-chatter and they do run around aimlessly. And so this particular tribe, um, when someone is going to become a shaman, they have to sit in front of a tree for a long time until they hear that tree talk to them. So Victor and I have done a lot with roots and rooting and um, even working with the different directions of the roots under the earth and seeing how that... Um, releases and opens and affects the body and uh, its movements in other ways. So that is the first thing, to be able to find your roots. And then when you meet a situation that is challenging, meet somebody who always makes your hair stand on end, (laughs) you just drop your roots into the ground (laughs) and you find you're reconnected. We can always reconnect to the sky and the stars. I think that is something that, because of the way our society is and space travel and all that, we're very much interested in going up. Um, And it's important, too, but to get down, that's the very feminine aspect of being grounded. And then the other thing is 
to return back home into ourselves by being aware of the back of the body but really the back of the body and seeing if it can release and open out because in any kind of anxiety situation when you're in a hurry or when you're afraid you tend to close the back and so you're pushed out of yourself forward and then your eyes are more startling and you get all mixed up in other people's stuff when you come back inside yourself you stay back you allow the back body to open out and it's actually the energy body that expands the warmth and the energy behind you it opens out and spreads around you like a wonderful cave or a cloak you stand in that and so you have your roots in the ground and you're back in your cave in the back of yourself and from there you have a safe place to be in the storms of life mm. the other thing that um, is very important of course is the breath and like I said earlier that, that normally the people who do yoga think of controlling the breath but um, how would we control the wind and the breath is something so natural it just means that <clears throat> we need <clears throat> to become aware of it at deeper and deeper levels aware of how we feel it on the nostrils aware of the sensation that it gives us the different parts of our body that are moved by the breath and then we can go beyond that as we wake up to the sensations of the breath within us to being able to follow some of the yogic uh, <coughs> concepts of pranayama for instance nodi shodhana or breathing through one nostril and breathing out through the other that will all come as the awareness of the inner body opens up that it is no big deal to lean into one side and feel the breath flowing through that and out through the other to balance the left and the right or the masculine and the feminine or the yin and the yang but and then many other aspects of breath too we can, I won't go into now but they are all coming out of natural processes but I think by listening feeling the breath you come to understand that you really are not what you appear but through the breath you're a part of the wind as it blows through the trees lifting turning each leaf as it goes and as you drop deeper you realize that you are like the waves in the sea your fluid body has somehow the memory of the great ocean depths with all its colors and mysteries and a part of you is deeply connected with the earth through the trees and through your roots and when you cry you remember the rain and when your heart opens you're part of the sun and so you open up more to your surroundings 
and let go of what we've been so dragged into. How do we look? Uh, who are you? And um, where do you come from? And what are you doing? And what is your career? And what are your aims? And what have you achieved? And how many children do you have? And what kind of house do you have? You let go of all that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you realize that it really is not very important because you are a part of everything. Just through the breath and just through feeling into your body. Yeah, it's really beautiful. So, there's one question. Well, there's a couple more questions I wanted to ask you. Um, And one of them, actually, there's a few more questions I want to ask you while I have you on the line. But this next one is, there's been a lot of talk lately about just more and more just growing in mass of the the reemergence of the divine feminine and also the Dalai Lama saying at the beginning of the year that the world would soon be ruled by by the western woman and i'm wondering i'm wondering what your perspective is on this and what what do you feel is the true power of of the divine feminine especially that is really coming forth much more strongly right now. It certainly is. Um, I think we have to start with ourselves and um, find who we are as in, in our own in our own body in our own life, and then start to see how that radiates out. Um, for me, it's, it really is about what I was just saying about reconnecting with nature and reconnecting with our breath, with my breath, with my body. And in doing so, the sensitivities open up into the surroundings and you start to see much more clearly um, what is happening around you and um, where you can be of help. I find it it's sometimes very desperate when you feel that people are starving. We live in this uh, amazingly privileged little corner of the world um, where we have enough to eat and a roof over our head when there are millions of people starving and chased out of their homes and their countries. And, and what, what can I do for that? And um, But I think if we start where we are, and see what happens right here we've just um, the winter rains started to destroy the mountain next to us partly because some people had made a road and a gutter for the rainwater to go down which undermined the side of the mountain so it was an artificial thing that had started it and so the terrace walls and the trees were starting to fall and uh, it was it was awful to see because the mountain was scarred and the trees were hanging on by their roots. And <clears throat> to cut a long story short, um, I was able through some savings to purchase the land. And <clears throat> now we are, have um, some wonderful 
Armenian builders who are creating wall, walls to support the mountain and get it back to its terrace state. And <clears throat> we can't really afford that, the building us pay over five years. But it feels at least that something I can do that is near at hand, I can save the mountain. Um, not me personally, because everybody involved working on it is saving it. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's what we can do in the nearest uh, situations, I think, that is that uh, is important. And the earth is crying out, and um, whatever means you have to help her, her children, her animals, her... We feed about 20 cats at the moment. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, I won't tell you about all the grandchildren and everything else, but we all have, uh, I think we all have something we can do that's near at hand, and that's like a building block. And as soon as you start uh, opening out to that, but it has to come from your heart, your guts, your roots, it has to come from the depths of you to be really, I feel, of, of benefit. If it just comes from a nice idea, um, it's, it's disconnected. So I know some people are really deeply moved and they go to another country and start helping with first aid or um, with uh, feeding people who are starving or <coughs> whatever. It's just... Uh, that, that's, I think, what I feel about um, the divine feminine is rising. More and more people are seeing what needs to be done, and I think it's just beautiful when you see how many young people are giving their lives to that. Mm. Was that what you meant? Or I didn't hear what the Dalai Lama yeah. said. Mm. Yeah, no, he, he just said that his prediction was that the world would be ruled by Western women, um, just from more of this, more of the spiritual perspective of, you know, really embodying and sharing these aspects of the divine feminine. It's an amazing time to be alive as a woman. I mean, especially those really who are over seventy, because we didn't start in this time, <laughs> and we had to work our way out of a very other approach to women. And now to see where women are going and what they are doing and reading like people uh, Malalaya Joya in, in, in uh, Afghanistan and what she's doing and all over the world wonderful women uh, are starting to take over and I don't think it's only western women I think uh, the women everywhere are but yeah. we do need um, I feel we need to start with ourselves and um, whatever way works for you is great, but the way I've come to this place is, is through yoga practice, and um, I was, in my earlier years, very shaky and very knocked from this pole to that pole, and uh, finding my own practice, uh, developing it more into a feminine approach, and finding this about being rooted and opening into my back body and staying present in who I am um, has really made everything else much more possible. And, and, and I think right now, 
I'm forgetting right now that name of that the DVD that shows one of your. I think it's your first DVD that shows you practicing. Um, the feminine unfolding. Yeah, the feminine unfolding. Oh, the feminine unfolding, and then the um, inner body flow class. I think it's called. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. I really recommend for anyone listening that you that you watch those those DVDs because they really it's really a privilege to watch Angela move in her body and it. Yeah, I think I think there's certain ways that we can only learn just by by seeing something. You know, you can you can give words to it, but seeing it brings a whole other felt sense of what that might be like in in one's own body. Well, um, for example, with this mountain thing, <laughs> um, I I knew the whole situation, and I knew if it waited longer, the rains would come and it would be too late, and maybe a whole we'd have a mudslide. And a whole lot more of it would fall with the trees and that. And um, yet, you know, the whole money thing seems so much because we just didn't have that money. Um, but then, you know, there are times when you have to let go of all that and you just act um, because it comes from deep inside. And I went outside and, and um, sat in the evening uh, and just opened to the mountain and... Um, I could practically hear it saying, please help, help, help me. And um, it really was like a being that was it's sort of its legs were being cut off. And there was no other thing to do. And Victor was right um, with me on that. And um, so now we, that's what we're doing right now. And we'll see what the next thing is. <laughs> Yeah, it's really beautiful. Yeah, there's some there's times where you just you can't even think about it rationally. You just you just know. We've you never to do thought it. actually about money. We've done what we've built this place when we didn't have money, and money comes. You know, if you have a um, if you have the right, if you're in touch with your soul and your your guts, and, that, and you you go from that feeling. Um, somehow the resources come. You never have too much, <laughs> and sometimes barely enough. But you always have but, enough. Um, <laughs> you always have enough, yes. It is a wonderful um, route to follow and makes life so much more interesting than playing safe. Yes. I would say never play safe. Just go with your heart, go with your guts. Mm. Yeah, and that's never, that's never safe. I mean, it is safe ultimately, but it doesn't. It doesn't feel like it when you're doing it necessarily. And one last question before there's are a few questions coming in from the women listening on the line. Um, for you, I know that you do a lot of traveling, so there might not be a typical day, but generally, what are the essential ingredients for you on a daily basis in order to really live in the world as a happy, whole, grounded woman who who shares a lot, who gives a lot of herself on a regular basis? Well, first of all, I, I, I cannot really rise to that wonderful statement of being totally whole, happy, and grounded. Um, and <laughs> I think that uh, but that, that, that's where the forgiveness comes in. That, uh, And I would say that to everyone. Um, 
do forgive yourself, but it, it's not about being 100% whole, healthy, happy, but of accepting uh, oneself as one is. And I think to be happy, you have to also be sad. You have to also know sadness and honor it. And um, you have to also fall down and you have to also make mistakes. But um, as one goes along and takes more care uh, of all this uh, stuff about, you know, being in your body and being more in the feminine and that, uh, these are what, what I find is totally 100% um, important to me is to climb out of bed onto my mat and I don't do anything else in between except maybe go to the bathroom but then I get on my mat and I have learned not to set myself a very hard practice like I used to because then you keep postponing it and um, it looms bigger and bigger and then somebody calls on the phone or um, you need a cup of tea or then it's time to go to work or whatever and the practice becomes a sort of monster that's waiting for you. And so instead of that, I just um, get on my mat and lie down and I have some little balls that I put under my neck or under my back or, and I <clears throat> just slowly un undo the tight parts in my body and breathe. And um, then out of that comes stretching and whatever else I need to do. And I do really need about two hours at least. And so it means just getting up that extra bit early. So uh, if one is, if I'm traveling or if I have an early class, um, I do have to get up earlier. But I would not miss that because without that, it's like going out into the world undressed. <laughs> I feel very vulnerable. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I wouldn't trust what I might say to certain people. Uh, with that practice, <laughs> with that practice, I, uh, I, I feel I'm I'm ready to walk out into the day. Um, and another thing is to somehow get into nature. So here it's quite wonderful because the sea is is only five minutes walk, and so I get into the sea as often as possible. Maybe not every day, but quite regularly, and swim. And uh, in other places, if I am near water, I, I go and swim, but that's just what um, makes me feel very happy indeed. And everything gets washed away by water. Uh, even if the water's cold and you're only in for a few seconds, you, know, you come out and, and, and somehow the world that was when you got in has, has been transformed and, and you feel glistening and glowing and happy again. Of course, one can't always do that, and um, that there are trees, to be able to go and touch a tree or lean against a tree, or even just to connect with a tree through the window. Um, very, very helpful. Uh, <clears throat> the, um, for the rest, it's um, just, I used to be much more disciplined and try to focus more on uh, having everything controlled and ordered. But now so many things happen in life and it's always changing. And so I've 
I learn more to just be with whatever is happening or needs to be done. And um, not, not to worry so much if those letters don't get written and the um, meal doesn't get cooked. You know, we just, we just live with what is and um, take a little rest when possible. Enjoy reading. I love looking out of the window. But you know, there isn't much time for all of that when you're teaching or traveling. But there always is the possibility to get up a little bit earlier, get on the mat, and at least look out the window. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So we have a, a couple of questions coming in, and... For anyone else, if you'd like to ask a question, I realize that it's we've gone at our hour. And Angela, if it's okay if we go for maybe another five or ten minutes, is that does that work for you? Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. great. So questions go in the Q and A box on the webcast page. We have one coming in from Barbara in Calgary, and she says, "Hello, Angela. Wonderful to hear your voice live after many years." has spent two decades in various paths of yoga. You were one of my first inspirations as I fell in love with how you flowed into the Sarvangasana with breath and love. And after all these years, it is your way that is now giving me the courage to follow my own process, breath, wisdom, and love. So many, many thanks for your example, wisdom, and inspiration. Um, Thank you, Barbara. Her question is, could you please comment on the state of yoga in North America and Europe in the 21st century? Do you see what is effective and what might be lacking? It's a big question, but an important question. Um, Well, what, what does always disturb me is to see people pushing and forcing themselves. Um, and overriding themselves. But you see, I did that myself, and um, I think people, I think life has to take the way it goes, and um, there is a lot of changing taking place, like you know, people are finding more their own practice, and there is a shift more to honoring the feminine. And I think those are the things to look at and not worry too much about whether yoga is going in the right direction or the wrong direction, but just trust that everybody is finding exactly what they need to do right now and um, the next stage will appear for them at the right moment. Mm. It's and so, then we have... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say it's so easy to want to change the world, but as the Indians say, it's like trying to straighten a dog with a curly tail. Mm. Um, Hood River, Oregon asks is recalling and releasing the the cellular memory of the past in cases of physical and sexual abuse um, similar to that of also being a victim of also what? being a victim is it similar to being a victim? yeah um, so I guess, I guess just, yeah, I guess she's just wanting to know how not to be a victim when she's releasing ah. past 
memories of uh, sexual abuse. Uh-huh. That's uh-huh. what I'm getting from it. Yes. Um, I think the thing is to honor the fact that you were a victim and it should never have happened. It did happen because there was nobody there to take care of you when you were very vulnerable and helpless. And it was terrible. And you let that side of yourself know that you understand that. That is very important. But then there's another part of you that has evolved and grown up and can handle other aspects of life very well. And that part of you is now there for the part of you that still feels a victim. And so the two come together. And as you would never push uh, an injured or a vulnerable child out into the street by itself, so you would not uh, take that still vulnerable part of yourself out of its safety. You are the one that will now protect it, take care of it, and help it slowly back to health. And um, it's a question of visiting that side of yourself as often as you can and um, helping it by just being with it and asking it what it needs from you and how you can help it to to regain health and strength and honoring that it is a, it was a victim but now it doesn't have to be anymore because you're there for that little part of yourself. Okay. So I think we'll we'll end our interview there. Um but I just I also want to encourage people all of Angela's CDs and DVDs are really really inspiring to have as part of your yoga library. Um Inner Body Flow, The Feminine Unfolding, and also underground yoga, which really tells the story of your retreat center in Greece and your and Victor's approach. And Angela, do you want to let listeners know more about how they can get in touch with you or upcoming events or just any anything that you want to share before we close? Um, well, I think that uh, you, you, you've given them the website and um, I'm, I'm doing a couple of women's courses here in Greece, one uh, coming up now and one in um, probably in January. But um, it's all on our, on our website, and Patricia Schneider is our organizer, and she's, she is um, online at patricia at rainfingers.com, and she will give any other information. And I would just love to say thank you all. I wish I could see all your faces because I know, I do know a lot of you. And I send you, uh, I send you huge love and wish for you that you take courage and really find your own way in your practice so that, um, you can stand as so many of you already are doing firm and clear in the light of your being. And thank you, Sarah, for arranging this. Thank you so much for being here, Angela. It's a real honor. 
Thank you so much for joining me and for taking this time out for yourself. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd be very grateful if you'd take a moment to rate and review this podcast. That way other women who might enjoy it can better find it. Also, don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. And until next time, I'm sending you my heartfelt support.